welcome to I Don't Know the Podcast, episode 49, The Wolf and the Woodsman, with Ava Reed. That's right, we're back after an extended break, except it wasn't really a break for me. We moved house, so for the last couple of weeks I've been lugging boxes and furniture across South London instead of creating incredible content for you guys. But we're all moved in now, ready to get this show back on the road. In a change of format this week, we're joined by Ava Reed, author of The Wolf and the Woodsman, an epic tale set in medieval Hungary, incorporating legends and folklore from Eastern Europe. It's an incredibly exciting read, and one that I think listeners to this show would also like. And yes, I do actually read books, even ones without pictures, so you lot can stop thinking about that crap right now. But anyway, listen on to hear my amazing interview with Ava Reed. months ago I received a mysterious email from publishers HarperCollins describing the novel The Wolf and the Woodsman. It also asked if I would like to have its author Ava Reed on the show. It also asked if I'd like an advanced copy of the book. Well a free book is a free book right? It turns out it's a cracking read. It's a fast-paced adventure that weaves in myths and legends from Ava's Hungarian heritage. There are monsters, magic, fighting, even romance. But not only that, the book examines religion and bigotry in a way that I found very thoughtful. So, without any further ado, here is my chat with the author, Ava Reed. This episode, we're joined by Ava Reed, whose debut novel, The Wolf and the Woodsman, is going to be available next month. It's an amazing tale of a pagan girl taken from her home by the woodsman, what follows is an epic quest through Hungarian folklore. And if anyone at HBO is looking for new material, they should definitely pick this up. So thank you for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I absolutely love the book. It is a pretty epic tale. And with all the Hungarian folklore unraveling in it and mixing <laughs> in with it, um, what started your interest in that sort of thing? Um. So I think, you know, where it kind of started out was that, uh, you know, paganism is and always has been a very important part of Hungarian nationalism and kind of Hungarian cultural legacy, you know. It's an incredibly nationalistic country and that nationalism is tied so strongly to the country's pagan roots. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there's a Tural statue at the entrance to the Hungarian Royal Palace. You know, this is, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Tural is a mythical bird in Hungarian folklore, mostly depicted as a hawk or a falcon. And it features heavily in Ava's book. Um, This is something that's so, you know, integral to the Hungarian national myth. Um, And the Tural is what is believed to, I mean, you know, in the mythology is believed to have led the Magyar tribes to the Carpathian Basin, you know, which is obviously the territory of modern day Hungary. 
Um, and the Hungarian national myth, so to speak, is that Hungarians are directly descended from the Magyar tribe, which are these uh, Central Asian steppe people. Um, <laughs> you know, how historically accurate that actually is, is very much up for debate. But I mean, it's, you know, all countries have national myths, you know. In America, we have the national myth that we, you know, the settlers just arrived and made nice with the Native Americans <laughs> instead of genociding them. So we all, you know, every country has, you know. Oh, I know. I, I went to Romania once um, a long time ago, and I was up in the Carpathian Mountains, and mm -hmm. I mean, people were still telling tales about vampires and Vlad the Impaler mm -hmm. and things like that. Yeah. So your your background is Hungarian, yeah? Uh, Hungarian. So this is a <laughs> this is kind of an interesting question. I kind of wanted to, you know, prelude this whole. Uh, you know, kind of interview with saying that the topic of Hungarian folklore is, as I mentioned, it's it's incredibly politicized, you know, mm -hmm. um, and the pagan revival movement in Hungary is overwhelmingly ethnic nationalist and right-wing and anti-Semitic. Um, and that's been like really the most difficult part of writing this book and promoting this book is just the fact that if I say I'm of you know Hungarian origin if I say that I was inspired by XYZ element of Hungarian folklore I'm gonna end up with a bunch of literal neo-nazis attacking me and saying <laughs> that what I've written is not authentic and even if it is I have no right to talk about it or to use it um, as a Jewish person because I'm not really the inheritor of these myths and that's something that I've, I've come up against a lot <laughs> in the promotional process. I think people like that just have too much time on their hands, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because um, no matter what they, they think of it, the, the tales are amazing. I mean, I love the, the, the God of the Underworld, um, Ordog, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and the story of how he got his wife. That, 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 mm -hmm. And is, is that one of the, the tales that has come up from tradition? Or? <laughs> No, I actually made that one up completely. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a really good one, though. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it really is a good myth she made up. Yeah, that one was that one was one that I made up. But there were other ones that um, you know I I was inspired. So one of the things that I actually did was I'm lucky enough that my partner is in academia, so I had access to an entire university library. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> one thing I did was I just went to this library and checked out everything I could on medieval Hungary. And a lot of what I found were these like ballads. Um, and one of these ballads is about basically like this serial killer knight, like the Ted Bundy of medieval Hungary who would like seduce women and like bring them under this orange tree and then like kill them. Really? And <laughs> yeah, so, and, and you know, the ballad is about one of these women who's like coming to sit under this tree and then she looks up and she sees the heads of all the other women that he killed. <laughs> and obviously you can see that in the in the story that EVK tells Gashbar about uh, the dragon. Um, and on that topic, dragons in Eastern European folklore are really interesting because they are just like men. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, uh, yeah like, like seven headed men. So the term dragon was kind of more meant to suggest something about your character than like your physicality like if you were a dragon you were like malevolent and untrustworthy rather than like an actual serpent <laughs> um, and I'm guessing this is where uh, Naomi Novik um, and Uprooted got the idea for the dragon um, 
and coincidentally, his real name is Sarkhan, which is the Hungarian word for dragon. Sorry, yeah. that was a <laughs> bit off topic, but yeah. Ava is referring to Naomi Novak, another best-selling fantasy novelist. The book starts with, um, how do you pronounce her name? Is it Evik or Evik? So it's kind of like saying Evik. the letters E, V, and K. Being British, I instinctively find foreign names very hard to pronounce. Just okay. It starts with EVK being taken from her tribe by the woodsman mm-hmm. on Woodsman Day. Um, mm-hmm. Did um, the woodsman actually exist in medieval Hungary? Or um, As far as I know, no, not by that kind of particular name, but there's a really long history of like militarized religious orders. Mm-hmm. in medieval Europe and there's this great book about it called The Monks of War by Desmond Seward um, and it's all about these sort of different orders um, and he calls them Christendom stormtroopers basically <laughs> um, so they're like the Templars which obviously everyone knows about because of Assassin's Creed um, but most people don't know about the the extremely rigid kind of code of conduct that they had to follow they had to eat their meals in silence I think they couldn't eat meat more than three times a week or something, and they could have absolutely no physical contact with women, even their family members. Um, they had to take these strict vows of chastity, of piety, of, of, of poverty. Yeah, in the um, book, they, they seem like um, kind of monks that fight. Mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Um, also, you ha- they had to grow a beard. I don't know if like what happened if you wanted to be a Templar, but you weren't able to grow a beard. Um, <laughs> I guess it's like if you want to be an Orthodox priest that you can't grow a beard. That's just really unfortunate. Maybe, um, it was, maybe it's just to keep women out or something like that. Maybe, they, they, yeah. they, sound, they sound like the type that would do that. Yeah. Um, so they're like, you know, kind of uh, groups like the Templars or like the Teutonic Knights were my inspiration for, uh, for the Woodsmen. Um, as far as I know, they didn't like cut off their body parts. But like, I really wouldn't be surprised because that was the very... <laughs> medieval christian kind they, of, of idea i'm pretty sure they flagellated themselves or something mm-hmm. like that so yeah <laughs> so there you go uh yeah very very like medieval christian ideology of kind of self-debasement and stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um, i mean you, the, the book is full of monster encounters with uh things with flies for eyes and wood giants mm-hmm. and things like that um mm-hmm. uh, how much of that have you taken from the the real mythology Okay, yeah, so the the tree giant is actually based off this kind of, of character in Sami mythology. The Sami are the indigenous people of uh, northern Scandinavia, and I think the kind of wood giants were also in Frozen, too. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, so I took that from uh, Sami mythology, and there there is, you know, kind of a stand-in for the Sami people in my book. Um, there's also this uh, Estonian legend about forests that would uproot themselves and just walk away. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was kind of fascinating to me. So I, I used that. Um, and obviously I get the most questions about the chicken monsters. <laughs> yeah, um, right. yeah, so those are, those are based off of this um, Hungarian uh, yeah, mythical creature called the Lidert, uh, which, which takes a lot of forms. Um, but commonly one that it takes is a black chicken, a black hen, and some versions have it as a creature like a, a Mara or a vampire, like basically your sleep paralysis demon that, you know, sits on the chest of women and sucks their blood. Uh, 
but I thought the black chicken version was more like interesting and unique. Um, so I wanted to go with that one. But I did actually find that terrifying because I, <laughs> I, I, I do have a bit of a bird phobia. It's true. I suffer from mild birdophobia. I'm not sure if that's the proper name. I haven't looked it up. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. When I was um, a kid, we went out in Trafalgar Square in London and you could feed the birds then. Mm-hmm. And I opened the box of bird seed and it just spilled all over me and I got attacked by pigeons. And... Oh, in St. James Park? No, no, Trafalgar oh. Square. Oh, okay. Because uh, in St. James Park, those, those birds are wild. I know. And it, <laughs> it, it, instead of saving me from these birds, everyone just laughed at me. It's, 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 I think it's affected me ever since. But, I don't but, blame you. Yeah, I, I lived in London for a year when my partner oh, yeah? was doing his degree at Cambridge. And going to St. James Park, like the pigeons just land on you. Mm-hmm. And as a native New Yorker, that was so horrifying to me. I was like, get <laughs> these rat birds away from me. Like, <laughs> I know, and some of them have got like only one foot. And they're, yeah. They're horrible. <laughs> no. <laughs> London's pigeons truly are disgusting. Back to the book. You deal a lot with um, Evie Kay and Gaspard. I mean, from two totally different religions, one pagan, one seems to be a, a form of... Um, is it Catholicism or? Yeah, so it's it's based, you know, most obviously on Catholicism and very much on the concept of like original sin, which is, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the idea that you're just born bad and you have to spend your entire <laughs> life making up for that. Um, but it's also kind of inspired by uh, this pre-Christian uh, ancient Roman cult called the Cult of Mithras, which has uh, some kind of similar, you know, elements to Christianity um, and they worshiped underground in caves. So that's why the, their church that they go to is in cave. And so, so I took elements from that as well. In, in real history, did um, the Catholicism side, did they really try and destroy the pagans in you know, horrible, violent ways? And Yeah, they did. There were lots of, I, I think part of the reason why I was so interested in um, in, in this period of time in Hungary is because like the move from paganism to Christianity was so swift and so incredibly violent. Um, and one of the stories that I've, I've talked about other times in interviews is about how St. Stephen or King Stephen, who was the first Christian king of Hungary, he had his uh, nephew and his heir apparent's eyes stabbed out because he was a pagan Jesus. and he didn't want a, a pagan to inherit the throne, yeah. Um, and when I read that like little anecdote, you know, it was just a sentence on the Wikipedia page. That was when I was like, I have to write a book, you know, <laughs> about this because um, it's so fascinating. And so one of the later kings, I think two generations removed from St. Stephen, um, Andrew the White, he formed this kind of false allyship with the, the you know, small remainder of the pagan tribes in order to to gain the throne from one of his competitors. But then as soon as he, he, he gained the throne, he turned on them and made pagan rights illegal. And that was pretty much like the last hurrah for pagans <laughs> in Hungary was, was Andrew the White, you know, turning on them. So the king in, uh, in my book is actually more based off Andrew the White than he is on, um, mm-hmm. on St. Stephen, because obviously, you know, he's, he's a king who leverages the power of the pagans, but then betrays them. And, and he has a, a a son who he doesn't want to be his heir mm-hmm. just because 
he's from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So his mother's from somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> and stabs his eye out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a shame. You, you can almost see modern times at the moment becoming like that, where they're just not accepting of anyone who isn't mm -hmm. like you anymore, especially here with Brexit and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, which is why I think it's, it's, you know, I always wanted it to be a story about two people who were outcasts in their own communities coming together. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, you know, that's the point of connection between them, you know. EBK has this Jewish heritage and Geshbar has this, I mean, the, the Merzan are, are standing for the Ottomans. So I guess this Muslim, you know, mm -hmm. Turkish heritage. Um, and, you know, they're both, they're both outcasted for that. And that was, that was always something that I wanted to, to write about and explore. Yeah. Cause it, it, it I, I think it does show very well people who immediately hate each other because of, whatever they've been told to believe can actually get along together and work things out together eventually. And mm -hmm. it, it, it's, that, that's one of the good themes of the book also, I think. Yeah. And I think that, you know, the reason why they're so, they're, they're so incredibly outcasted is because, you know, the identity and the, you know, in this book, um, the identity of the country is so much in turmoil that anything that kind of threatens the burgeoning identity of this uh, nation state is something that needs to be immediately stamped out. Um, you know, you can't have anything that's, you know, impure, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. impinging upon, you know, the identity of this country. Um, I know. I, yeah. I felt immediately sorry for Vicky, actually, <laughs> because um, it, it seemed that no one liked her in her village, and then wherever she went, no one liked her either. But, but she still yeah, turns well, out to be pretty badass anyway. But. I mean, that's the story of being a Jew in Europe. No one likes you anywhere <laughs> you go. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that part is pretty historically accurate. Um, and so is the scene where her father is made to stand in the pig's blood. Mm -hmm. um, that was a real thing that um, that they did to Jews in medieval Hungary. They would make that, you know, obviously because uh, pork is not kosher. Um, so they would make them stand in like pig entrails or like smear them with pig blood while they were, you know, kind of brought in front of, you know, judge and jury in these like false trials with trumped up charges. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah. As, as if what was already happening to him wasn't bad enough. I... <laughs> they have to do that to him as well. Yeah. What would you actually like people to get out of the book? Because it's, it, it's not just um, monsters and, and adventures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just one of the things that I would hope people would take away from it is that fantasy, you know, as a genre is, it's not apolitical. It's actually incredibly political, even if, you know, you're not actively thinking of it that way, you know, just there's just the underlying assumption in so many of these fantasy books that, oh, the character is willing to fight and die for their country. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, what if your country kind of hates you, you know, and like, <laughs> that's not, you know, your country is not just made up of people who are exactly the same and practice mm -hmm. the same religion and who are part of the same ethnic group who speak the same language. That's never been the case ever in history. But that's something that, you know, fantasy books really take for granted, I think, and don't, 
don't explore and in the interest of trying to appear apolitical, but that is an incredibly political thing to do is to, is to create, you know, a fantasy country that's entirely homogenous. Um, and that was one of the things that I kind of, I intentionally, you know, wanted to challenge that. Um, yeah, I, th I think a lot of people get kind of snobbish about um, fancy books and things like that. But then Game of Thrones. Uh, yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I think that fantasy as a genre is kind of, it's really hard for it to overcome its reputation as being just about like for, you know, older straight white guys and like <laughs> you know it's just People all this like, like yeah it's just all this like oh that's this sword and sorcery epic fantasy and every mm -hmm. fantasy book is kind of like that you know you have your Brandon Sanderson's and stuff um but fantasy as a genre is so incredibly diverse these days um and the books that are actually you know selling and doing really well are not at all <laughs> these these types of you know sword and sorcery books for you know older white guys. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's been hard for fantasy to kind of shed that reputation um, and to be seen as like, oh, fantasy can actually be literary. Fantasy can be diverse. Oh, what I think you did really well in the book is you, you really did create a feeling of a country, be believable political system, believable, believable landscape, um, different tribes and things like that. It, it, I, th I think it was really well shelled out. It's, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, one of the things I actually have, I don't think I've ever talked about in an interview before, is that uh, a lot of the fairy tales and stuff were actually inspired by the Finnish epic poem, the Kalevala, um, which is sort of like the Finnish odyssey. Um, yeah, and the reason I did this is because Hungarian and, and Finnish are both Finno-Ugric languages, so they come from the same language mm -hmm. family. They're actually, along with Estonian, the only non-Indo-European languages spoken widely in Europe. Um, so they have a similar cultural heritage, and obviously Kalava in the book is, you know, kind of a stand-in for Finland. Um, but it has, kind of, and it's it's part of, you know, the larger country, but it has its own cultural identity, it has its own language. Because again, I wanted to show that, you know, <laughs> a cohesive, you know, homogenous nation state is so incredibly unrealistic, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> That's just never how it's been <laughs> in the history it never will be. yeah no i mean truly never as much as you know these ethnic nationalists and neo-nazis want it to be you know the reason why they're so obsessive about you know the pagan heritage of the country is because they see that as oh this was a purer time period when you know there were no ethnic mm -hmm. minorities when this was just oh this is true authentic hungary true authentic hungarian culture and you whenever you're trying to talk about this, you inevitably run up against these types of people. Because I mean, if you Google like Hungarian paganism, the first result are gonna be these like neo-Nazi groups because they're trying <laughs> to control the conversation around, you know, Hungarian mythology. They're trying to be seen as the true authentic voice when in reality, you know, the records from this time period are incredibly scant. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of it like is, <laughs> just to be completely straight up, a lot of it is just made up for political purposes, you know? So it's, it's, it's very hard to, <laughs> to separate, you know, the current political climate from any kind of like research you're doing on, on Hungarian paganism. Yeah, hate those guys. <laughs> yeah, not great. <laughs> As I said in the beginning, if 
HBO or anyone else was um, <laughs> looking for new material. Have, have you had any whispers no. about anything like that? No, I haven't. And I honestly, it's so interesting because, you know, when I chose to write, you know, fantasy, especially adult SFF, I knew that I was kind of, you know, writing the most difficult genre in a sense because it, people, like I said, view it as so incredibly inaccessible. It's really hard for a larger audience. And I think Game of Thrones has really changed that in, in a big way because people see that oh, fantasy can be, you know, accessible. It does have interesting characters. It can be, you know, diverse to the extent that Game of Thrones is <laughs> somewhat diverse. And, and, it, and it can be relatable as well. As, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it, they're human stories. They just happen to be set in a fantasy world. So I think that I, all fantasy writers are very appreciative of the success of Game of Thrones because it's kind of made, it, it's created this greater interest. And I do think that everyone is trying to kind of you know, ride the coattails of Game of Thrones. They want, mm -hmm. you know, all, you know, they want something to be the next Game of Thrones. And I don't know what that will be, you know, it would be great if it was my book, but you know, it's, <laughs> there's, there's so much amazing fantasy out there, like uh, the City of Brass and the Poppy War, both of which I think have been, have been optioned for TV or for film. Um, and those are from my publisher, Harper Voyager you know, incredibly, you know, sweeping, diverse, interesting fantasy. There's, there's so much of it out there. And I'm really excited to see, <laughs> to see what, you know, what actually does end up being the next Game of Thrones. Well, I mean, with a publisher like HarperCollins, um, I mean, they don't get much bigger than that, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny because Voyager is actually a very tiny imprint. It's a very boutique imprint within mm -hmm. HarperCollins. Uh, they only do a couple of a couple of uh, debut books a year. Um, so it's been interesting as opposed to a place like Tor, which is huge. And they have like 20 editors. Uh, <laughs> well, well, yours also has a, um, you know, a very strong female central character as well so there's that as well yeah <laughs> yeah and it would be you know i think game of thrones like i said has opened up a lot of doors for for fantasy writers who aren't you know straight white men because mm -hmm. there are these like incredibly complex and interesting female characters in the show um you know i don't think anyone can argue that the, some of the most interesting characters aren't you know cersei and daenerys and, oh absolutely yeah you know sansa these are you know characters that are so complex and so beloved um and again i think it it, it upends people's expectations for what fantasy is like <laughs> i hope it does get made into a show i mean gosh me too <laughs> <laughs> There's not a ton of money in being a fantasy writer, but uh, <laughs> you get that get that film uh, or TV adaptation, then it's you know it's pretty lucrative. Well, I, I think we're almost out of time. Is there anything you want to add? Um, when is the um, publishing date? So it comes out June eighth uh, from Harper Voyager in the U.S. and from Del Rey in the U.K. Excellent. And is there any website or? social media you want to plug? Uh, yeah, so my website is avasread.com. Uh, it's very, <laughs> very bare bones and not very uh, updated. But my uh, Instagram is avasread as well. And that I post on that a lot. So if you want to kind of keep up to date with me, that's the best way. Okay. 
as I said before, I, I absolutely love the book. Are there any more coming out in the pipeline? Yeah. So, I mean, this book is a standalone, but I do have another title coming next summer from HarperCollins, and it is a horror book, actually. Um, it's a gothic horror retelling of the juniper tree, which is um, what people call Grimm's darkest fairy tale because it's about cannibalism. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, very, very ripe for horror retelling. And as I'm sure you can, can tell, my taste is, is very much in, you know, the genre of people eating weird things they really shouldn't <laughs> be eating. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I have that coming out. Um, and I have another book coming out in early 2023, which I can't talk about yet, but hopefully we'll be able to talk about soon. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. And thank I you so much for having me. And I hope we can talk again when your next book comes out. <laughs> that would be great. Okay. Thank you very much. Of course. Episode 49. The Wolf, the Wolf and the Woodsman with Ava Reed. The Epilogue. So, what have we learned this week? Well, I'm not going to do the three usual snarky comments. I did learn that there were a lot of other questions that I only thought about after reviewing the audio. I haven't read a good book in a while, so receiving a copy of The Wolf and the Woodsman was very welcome. I thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. Reading the book also nudged me into boning up on Eastern European mythology. And I'm glad about that because there are tons of amazing and interesting tales. And Ava was right that a lot of racist far-right groups are trying to claim ownership of these legends, which is of course ridiculous, particularly because of the lack of any documentation covering these ancient times. And I guess that's why it appeals to them. They're not exactly known for being big readers, and we shouldn't let a bunch of skinheads ruin anything for us. I'm really glad Ava chose to be on I Don't Know the Podcast because it brought a great book to me and it got me interested in another set of legends. And I certainly hope she returns when her next book is out. So, thank you for listening, particularly since there's been a big gap between the last episode. And make sure you listen next week. It's going to be the 50th episode, so there's going to be details of an epic flipping crazy giveaway. If you enjoy this podcast, then share it with your friends and let me know. Join the Facebook group and the Instagram, and you can email me at idontknowpod at outlook.com. Special thanks to our logo creator, Raymond Roel of Project Raven Creative. See all his links in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and come back next week to find out what I don't know. Yeah.